Welcome to Distance and Intimate, a podcast hosted by the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Justice Committee of the James Madison University Student Government Association. We are excited to have this space to have intimate conversations about issues on diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice in the James Madison University community and our society in general. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Distance and Intimate. We're going to do things a little differently today. I'll let everyone introduce themselves, and we'll get into it. So I am Ginger Barbour. I use she, her, her pronouns. I'm a senior, and I'm a theater and health science double major. All right, so I'm Dave Figueroa. I use his, him pronouns. I'm a junior accounting major. Hi, I'm Jillian Lopez. I'm a senior international affairs and Spanish (laughs) double major. (laughs) And my pronouns are she, her, hers. Hi, I'm Riley Pledger. I'm a sophomore and I'm a public policy administration major and I use she, her pronouns. Hello, I am Leah. I'm a sophomore anthropology major with women, gender, and sexuality studies minor and I use they, them, their pronouns. So today's episode, we will just be interviewing our committee members. There will be no guests and you will be hearing our perspectives on what it's like going to a PWI as a minority student or a student who is underserved by the university. Go Dukes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so who wants to like talk about their major? Let's start. I'm sorry, there's just a lot of information. (laughs) So, hi y'all, I'm Jillian again. I'm an international affairs major, and I know y'all can't see me. I am African American and Latinx. Um, (laughs) And one thing I've noticed as an international affairs major on JMU's campus is one, we are probably one of the least diverse majors on this campus. Uh, I never relate to my teachers, rarely relate to my peers. I've never had an African-American or Latinx professor within my field. And one, I guess I've always found that detrimental to me because I like when I go, when I think about the future and what I'm gonna do for my career and just like anything that really interests or relates to international affairs for me, I think, wow, I'm, this is just gonna be my life for, I guess, until I retire. And that's always been a struggle for me because I guess with, at least within my friend group, a lot of my friends are AAA D minors or have had at least one black professor at JMU and I've actually never been lucky lucky enough to have that experience. And I guess I felt like I've, I feel like I've missed out at least on that part of my college experience at JMU. Anybody relate? I definitely relate. With theater, I feel like we cover a lot of different diverse topics, but when it comes from a, a cisgender professor or a Caucasian professor, a white professor, um, it, does, it doesn't hit the same. And people ignore it, or they'll not read through that lecture, or they'll just, I mean, they don't really, and they don't understand how that affects them, which is not okay <laughs> yeah I definitely understand that in relation to like you know when you're studying material and it's relevant to who you are in your community but then your peer, your peers think 
it's not relevant to them because like they're never gonna have to deal with that and you know it's that kind of sucks you know I mean on one side I really enjoy like what I learn in theater health science I health sciences we talk about a lot of like health determinants and like access to healthcare and that of course affects marginalized populations but when it comes to theater we study like this year we got to study how the death penalty and how that's a theater ritual or performance tradition because it includes a script it includes a cast it includes wardrobe and costume but I feel like a lot of my peers didn't understand the impact of having that as a lesson because I have had family members incarcerated before and most of them have not I can assume that I mean does anyone else I mean my way of relating to that is thinking about um you know to make it a little bit lighter there's like a meme of um like uh i guess like i guess the joke is like white students or students who can't relate to the topic that they're being taught about taking super beautiful aesthetic pretty notes and like the title of that is like this beautiful cursive with like flowers and stuff and it says like the death penalty yeah (laughs) yeah and i feel like that's like a good example of how it like i guess Tan- more like a tangible way that um, it can manifest where you can literally see how they don't view the material as relevant or like important and treating it with like the dignity and respect that it deserves um, and I feel like you can definitely see that in like a lot of uh, classes and I also like um, in anthropology I have noticed just in my cultural anthropology class the same thing where um, if there's an article or something that we're supposed to read and it's about a topic about like a marginalized group like I remember there's a really really interesting article on on the gendering of skeletons and about how that's not like a reliable process and it ignores the gender structures of the cultures that existed that we can experience and don't know the gender structures of um and I felt like a lot of my peers just didn't read it because they didn't find it interesting or they didn't think it was necessary when like as somebody who's non-binary and is studying women gender and sexuality studies which largely relates to gender studies, you know, it's just kind of ignorant. And it's definitely a thing that happens, especially in those like big gen eds where like you have to do a bunch of, or I guess more like liberal arts gen eds, you have to do a bunch of readings and read articles. And definitely like in international affairs, like I could totally see that happening too. Yeah, like I think with the exception of like my politics of development class, like of course it's my politics of development class. I think whenever we talk about like, whenever we talk about, um, situations regarding like a conflict in Africa or maybe like diff like varying like political issues within like indigenous communities in maybe Central Latin America I mean uh, um, northern like Latin America like Bolivia or Ecuador I feel like my peers definitely think that it's not as relevant as the political situation in the Middle East or Brexit and it's just kind of like you know the world is not just the West, you know, it's everything. And you got to take that into account in your studies. And I think JMU has been trying to do that, but they're not doing a good job of like trying to include that entire global view. I read, um, or I was in this like a uh, really interesting class. My first semester of my freshman year, 
um, English 239 World Literature, but the I didn't realize it when I signed up, but I showed up on the first day, I learned that the class was on um, oral literature from various cultures around uh, the continent of Africa. Um, and that class was largely based on group projects. And, you know, I'd never studied oral literature before, and I doubt any of the other freshmen or sophomores that were the majority of the class had either. But it kind of sucks sometimes to, like, feel how hard it was because I feel like it shouldn't have been that hard and I, it just made me sad that like I don't know I wish I'd been exposed to that type of um I guess like content earlier because I ended up really really enjoying learning about it and like the impact that like oral literature has on like the entire world in general and like the power that it has but it really felt like just because it isn't a tradition in the western world I literally never heard anything about it outside of, um, we had a really interesting lecture on like how it's been kind of like, kind of like appropriated for performance. Um, and there's been like, we watched a video about some oral performance at like, at some Smithsonian children's show or something. Yeah, in the big red building. I think so. Yeah. And I guess that was probably one of the best ex like that class was one of the best experiences I've had here in terms of like inclusion but um that was an accident like I didn't mean to get into that class and that wasn't clear and it seemed like nobody else meant to either mm -hmm. and that sucked to realize and I don't know I mean I'm only a sophomore so I haven't had that vast experience with my even my own major so I don't know. If, if, if anybody comes across that class, I recommend taking it because it was really good. I think something you said was that's really important is like speaking of oral literature and like how that connects all of us, connects cultures, connects history across generations. I think we as a school need to incorporate foreign languages more into the curriculum because instead of just saying, oh, like, they they need to change, they need to learn English. Like, I, I hate that idea, and I feel like we're not moving away, like, we're not taking any steps to move away from that being the standard and being the norm. I would say I have to agree with that. Um, like Jillian said earlier, I know you guys can't see us because this is a podcast, but I am a white cisgendered woman and kind of like Leigh was saying earlier like about getting exposed to that type of content. That is something I have noticed as a trend with uh, white people I'm friends with. We, our families don't tell us about certain things, we're not exposed to certain things, so then you know, we grow up not really understanding what other cultures have to go through. And I, thankfully, back home, have a close group of friends who I would like to say is pretty diverse. And I was able to like learn things about their different cultures through them and just their experiences. But not everyone, not every white person does that. Uh, it like takes it takes a push in yourself to be willing to learn about other people's experiences and i think something that i've noticed being at jmu is that it's very comfortable for me and i 
don't have to feel uncomfortable on this campus and I think about that a lot um, because I know like if some of my friends were here they would probably feel uncomfortable here sometimes and it makes me sad um, but I definitely just like it, it needs to be encouraged more for people to go outside of just the things they're raised with and brought up with because if you never separate yourself or try to learn about different things than what your parents told you, you're never going to grow as an individual. And I just feel like that has been a common trend with a lot of white people I know my age, unfortunately. I feel like that comes back to like with JMU specifically and like some students feeling like they don't have to learn about certain things. Like as Jillian was saying, part of the issues is like the professors, like I, I just pulled up this brief article that I was reading earlier. Um, in 2020, JMU's Office of Institutional Research found that under 15% of total professors at the university are people of color. And if we're, if we're not having a diverse teaching population at the university, then how are students going to learn about these diverse experiences? Because you know, it's not, it's not really just cult, like culture is, um, see, seeing is culturally mediated, how we view the world is completely has to do with how we're socialized and how we're brought up and um, the culture around us. And if we aren't exposed to other perspectives, especially when it comes to people teaching us, like that's one of the first, like the university is talking about um, diversity, equity and inclusion, like within the gen ed curriculum. Like a great way to do that is literally just hiring professors of color. Because if every professor, like how, I think part of the problem is like some professors say that they don't feel comfortable um, introducing diversity, equity, and inclusion into their curriculums, but it applies to every area of study and it can be included. But part of the reason that they don't feel comfortable is because JMU isn't providing them the proper training or hiring professors of, co of color who feel comfortable talking about it or professors who just feel comfortable talking about it in general. And I feel like that's just something that they need to consider when hiring or evaluating um, the diversity of the denied curriculum. It's first like the people who are teaching our students, like we need people who are gonna fight for that and are gonna want to make sure that our students are impacted in that way to consider a variety of perspectives and people's like, um, I guess life experiences. Yeah, I think thinking about it right now, like off the top of my head, I can only, like, I've never had a non-white professor at JMU, but I can only think of, like, I think seven professors, yeah, I think, yeah, seven professors at JMU who aren't white. I've never had them, but I can't think, I couldn't tell you anybody else, like, I really, I really think, like, if JMU had a more diverse teaching staff, that would go a very long way in terms of, like, making this university, I guess, a little, much more inclusive, but... No. And it spreads to the administration too. Like it spreads to the board of visitors, you know? It, it needs to get more diverse. I don't know how you're gonna convince, like when it comes to getting a more diverse student population, like why would, why would a student who looks at the university and sees that it only has like 14% uh, professors who are people of color and looking at the board of visitors who looks majority white and looking at the administration and the president and literally everyone at the university is in a position of power being white. Like that needs to change too, because it's not just about getting like students of color here, it's, it's about 
<laughs> university a place they feel comfortable and that's by having people that they can relate to teaching them content that's the thing I, remember I was having a conversation about this not too long ago like maybe a week me and a couple of my friends were talking about how you know like for them it's so easy to find like a, like they always talk about oh I'm so I'm super close to my professor I'm so this but you know they're all you know they're all white you know, all the professors are white and like you know being African and enduring um, I don't really find that especially in the college of business there's like only a few of them and they teach like high or level like you probably won't even see them until like your senior senior year and like we're talking about it how like it's not easy for somebody like somebody like me coming from my background you know you would have told me a year ago I would have been in here at JMU at any education higher education I wouldn't have believed you like I have a my finance professor he's white he's a great dude but it's not the same connection like yeah and you I, shouldn't have to wait until your senior year to feel comfortable in your major and I actually met a new mentor he's a CFO at a Howard and um, it took me what my junior year to find somebody that's in my came similar background, you know, first generation, you know, in that same field that I want to be a part of. Took me up to my junior year of high school. I'm the high school of uh, <laughs> being here at JMU. So like I feel like just diversifying, like just like you know, the faculty will help not just the university but just the students here that are already on campus find some type of connection. Because you know, there's kids from all different types of backgrounds. Like my background is not the average background. As you would see here, like I came from ghetto places to here. So like just that little, that like the little ch hiring more like diversity will go such a long way. I feel like that also contributes to like why we're here, like why we're in SGA, why we're on the diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice accessibility committee, um, because now we're having to do their job because they're not diversifying the faculty and professors um and the curriculum and the curriculum and the, curriculum. <laughs> and the training <laughs> like i feel like we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't have to fight this hard we shouldn't this is their job like we're paying them just to end up doing their job yeah. anyway um i'm sorry i have to say it but i'm it's unfortunate that I have to continue having meetings with administration and even something as simple as giving us election day off is something Literally. we have to fight for every year like and that's just one thing I thought I thought the election day thing was very interesting too because I feel like in the media it has been at least I guess the media I'm consuming it's been talked about a lot how like people are trying to like disenfranchise like minority voters right now and I thought that was just very interesting that as a public university that wants to be seen as diverse and <laughs> have students who are marginalized didn't give us that day off so we didn't have more time to actually get to the polling places or advocate yeah <laughs> or even have more students that are elections commissioners and officers yeah um to be more involved in the election process and to encourage our friends to be more involved not with trickle down to their family and just primary elections local elections they don't get the same outcome 
that's why we're in the position we're in now. <laughs> well, also, like, the state, or the Commonwealth, the Commonwealth of Virginia, um, <laughs> is, like, one of the only in the entire country that has an off-year gubernatorial election. And, I mean, it would have been amazing PR for JMU, because everyone was looking at Virginia in the first place just because our election was happening. And then to say that, like, JMU is the first Virginia public university that gives students day off, like, that would be a great PR stunt. Um, sucks to say, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't understand what the reasoning for it wasn't to, to um, not give election day off. Like, it... I mean, again, like, I ju it just makes me think, like, the administration is full of, you know, <laughs> rich, privileged, white, cisgender people who probably don't think it's that important and that there are students who feel like every single day they're fighting for their place at this university and want their voice to be heard politically. And they just can't see that. And it sucks to see SGA produce legislation and pass legislation, at least trying to advocate for these students and for us to, again, not be listened to. Year after year after year. After year. And it's, yeah, and it's every single year we pass this resolution, don't we? Every year. Every year. And every year they ignore us. It's, I just don't know how that happens. Yeah, me and my friends back home, like in high school, would talk about constantly how annoying it was um, when, like, ideas of like the presidential election would come up and people would just make jokes about like putting random people down on the ballot like if you're able to joke about voting for who is going to be president it just shows that no matter who gets into office you won't be affected and some people just aren't willing to face the fact that they have that privilege and it is very irritating because <laughs> It's not even just like, like saying you have privilege isn't saying that like, oh, like you don't go through hardships in your life. Like everyone goes through hardships. Like that's part of being a human, but there's no, like there's no fault in admitting you have a privilege in life because of your skin color or your gender or whatever. Like there's just, there's nothing wrong with that. And I feel like it really shows when people make jokes like that or are just ignorant in general, like how strong their privilege really is. I'm also looking at another brief article now that I just remembered also exists that, like it was reported that um, in the 2020 general election, 74.6% of JMU students voted, which is a 20% increase from 2016, and 8.6% higher than the national average for higher education institutions. Like, politics is important to JMU students. Like how much more clear can it be <laughs> that we care about it than we have one of the highest voting rates in the state? higher than the national average, and that 75% of our students voted. That's insane. You'd think that that'd be enough evidence, and hopefully it will be for next year, because I think this data wasn't released. It was released on November 2nd, um, which is a little last minute, because it's left day off. But hope, I mean, I would hope that that has an impact on next year, because they really see that 75% of students need election day off. Well, um, personally, I think it has everything to do with donors and who they get their support from, um, <laughs> being honest, just like the senators and delegates that represent Harrisonburg. Um, we don't get enough state money, so we're entirely controlled by our donors. Yeah. Um, is, is that what you're saying? <laughs> that, but also yeah. just like the government relations side of everything. Yeah. Um, they know who, they know what would happen if they chose to allow students to be more civically engaged 
they know that they would no longer have those delegates and senators yeah. representing us um, because more people would vote in Harrisonburg. And that, I don't know, that to me is like one of the main issues when we are talking about like how it just seems like administration is kind of unwilling to diversify staff and I feel like that as you were saying is definitely because of the donors because in anything the foundation is very important and the foundation of JMU is the administration and that is how the school is going to be run and they know that if the foundation starts to change donors will see that and they'll bounce mm-hmm. as soon as it's not as what they want it to be. Does anybody know when the diversity, equity, and inclusion, and justice, is it like liaisons or something? I know there's like a head for DEIJ of every college or section. When did that start? Because like, that, I can't help but that notice- That started last year. Yeah. I can't help but notice that I haven't seen any changes. So like- Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Here so, like, we go. Are they just not listening to these people that they appointed to do DEIJ? So, for all those wondering, um, our current and first head of DEIJ at JMU is Dr. Brent Lewis, and his first year here was the 2020-2021 school year, so he was, he's just gotten here. Um, in terms of what he, what him and, like, his DEIJ, like, um, I guess like employees have done like he's in charge of ODS, SOGI, and CMIS. Yeah. And his recommendation like I don't know how to explain it. Um, go for it. You <laughs> <laughs> don't want the truth. <laughs> I really don't know how to explain it. Um they I guess as certain people have put it progress is slow. And I'm not exactly sure what they have done so far. One thing I have noticed that is whenever Dr. Lewis is out at like a student event or um, like student, like yeah, like a student like run event or a student based event, uh, he will say like if you have an issue in term when it comes to like DIJ, like you feel like a professor has done something problematic, please reach out to me. But on the flip side of that. I've also heard people say, well, I had this issue and I went to Dr. Lewis. He's like, well, have you talked to your dean, the dean of your school, your department head? Um, That's not a criticism, but I just, I'm not entirely sure what exactly has come to follow in Mm -hmm. terms of like what he's done. Personally, I think a lot of, a lot of the diversity council chair um, members. There's like, a diversity council? There, there is. That's basically all of the people that were appointed into those positions. Oh, okay, got it. Got it. That meet together once a month. Okay. Um, they, I've been able to sit in on some of those meetings, and a lot of it does come down to their protection. It sucks to say, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. very unfortunate. Um, it, honestly, it comes to the point of feeling like they have to choose between protecting the faculty and yeah. supporting the students. Yeah. Um, and it shouldn't have to be a choice. No, it's definitely a hard place to be in. Um, but the the backlash does 
hit them as well, but I don't think that should be something that should stop you from change, Mm -hmm. Um, especially since that's your entire um, job Mm -hmm. and position. Um, I also feel like that, uh, what was it? That article that was published at the beginning of this, at the beginning of the year, in like August about, I think, was it the frog groups doing diversity training? Oh, yes, yeah, it was about to. It was in Fox News. Yeah, like, I can't help but feel like we probably would have gotten more work done if that hadn't happened because mm-hmm. the amount of backlash from that was insane. What? It's going to continue to happen. Like, if, you, if you're if you not creating those conversations and putting people's backs against the walls, especially when it comes to media and press, mm-hmm. like you're gonna upset people that's the whole point and in those times that's where your true colors show that's where jmu's true colors show because they choose to back down and double down instead of standing by their word and i think that being in the position that i am right now i've seen that across the board on several councils and committees like a lot of faculty just feel like oh i i don't want like anyone to say anything about me i don't want any backlash i don't want any death threats Mm -hmm. okay but some of your students are getting that so wouldn't you rather stand in solidarity with them and take it too instead of letting them get all the backlash like it's just not fair to continue to the cycle of oh when stuff gets hard i'm just gonna shut up and close my eyes and act like it's not happening. So do you think the solution would then be on the administration or the professors or? I think if everyone just stands behind what they claim they want, what change looks like, Mm -hmm. if they just stand behind that and keep their word, then they use it when it it's convenient. Yeah. They use it when it's convenient. Right. Like, you know, they see matter. a bunch of us in the COB, the news department, oh, they're definitely going to take a picture of us mm-hmm. and post it on there, but they won't say nothing other than that. They did the same thing during COVID, where, like, there were those, do you guys remember those days last year when, like, you know, it was the heat of COVID, you know, it just got, started to get warm again, COVID was going crazy, mm-hmm. and we had those, like, few warm days, and oh. the quad was, like, infested mm-hmm. with, like, 400 people, no one wearing masks. And then Jamie was like posting on Instagram, what a beautiful day. And it was like three students wearing a mask on the quad. And like I had some of my, like some of my friends were those people posting on Instagram. And they were like, they walked over to us because we were the only people wearing masks on the quad and only took pictures of us and only posted them. Um, just to like draw a similarity about how like, this isn't just like, it applies to kind of like all things. But it also like, what type of people like, who is JMU trying to attract then? I mean, going to, to y'all's points, like, about, like, tokenization, like, tokenization is not a JMU thing. That's a PWI thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think JMU just does it so well. I mean, if you if you all remember Norman Jones, he was the student representative for the Board of Visitors before Xavier Williams. Mm-hmm. And that man is everywhere. He is on JMU's website. You 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 cannot go to uh, what's it called, like an orientation page and not see Norman Jones. But they don't. It's not just him. Mm-hmm. It's just JMU 
they'll find one person and just kind of run with it for the time that they're here and it really sucks because like I feel like I saw that when I was coming to JMU it was very misleading like I remember I got my student packet and I was like wow JMU is like way more diverse than I thought and I got to campus and even my dad's like are you sure you want to go here um this is is not what you said it was going to be like and you know I just kind of stuck with it you know tuition was cheap so here I am but still I feel like JMU it's kind of disingenuous when you use your students in that way to attract other students like you but then you won't do anything to serve them properly as a university or as an institution I was thinking about how broad that gets and I decided to look up just quickly Google how diverse are Virginia's state universities. And there's a Richmond Times-Dispatch article from April 16, 2021, and the title is, Report, Black and Latino people make up 34% of Virginia's college-age population, but 10% of some of the state's biggest universities. Um, so this is a statewide issue, too. Um, let me see if I can find some more specifics. Virginia Tech, 10%. James Madison University, 10%. VMI, 13 So, what, what do we think some ideas are for a state change done? State. Because SGA, too, like, we're going to be uh, lobbying Richmond soon. Session's coming up. State change. So, what do you guys think we can do? I mean... It's a, it's a tough question. I'm really putting, putting you on the spot. But, like, I didn't realize... I really, it really feels like a just JNU issue. And when anybody talks about it, like, it's always about JNU. Because it is. Yeah. And, like, that's what we experience. But, you yeah. know, it's on this huge scale in the entire state. And that's a problem. I think there are a lot of General Assembly members that are willing to help us and willing to use their platform and their voices to make change on our campus. I think a lot of the time, um, some students can get intimidated by that process when really they are there to help, they are there to listen. I think that's where our most immediate change may be able to happen, especially mm -hmm. since JMU will be presenting the budget, which most of the budget is renovations. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. But I think it starts with the connections we've already made with like the Virginia Legislative Black Caucus and other um or not organizations, but groups within the General Assembly that are our allies. Yeah. It definitely comes back to, a, I think it definitely comes back to voting. If Jamie, let our students be more civically engaged. It's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I would also, I would just like to like, uh, highlight the importance of people who have privilege also using their voice. Um, I remember, uh, what was that, now two summers ago, um, when the death of George Floyd happened and there, would be, there, there was a bunch of protests happening and just everywhere you went on social media, it was about it and like, Rightfully so, but it's just a lot of hard media to process. And I remember tell like talking to my friends about it, um, who are black, and they were telling me that it was just hard, like feeling like every day 
they had to be the ones to explain it to people like when it when they are seeing stuff that honestly could have been one of them on a different day and having to explain that to people who really typically couldn't care less but now it was all over social media so people were like pretending to read into it it's it's hard because the like when am I like a person in a minority group is being affected by this but they also know that they're probably the only ones who are going to speak up for it and have this issue dealt with they get burnt out and I would encourage people who are in groups that experience privilege to also speak out because unfortunately as a white person my voice is valued more than others it shouldn't be but it typically is and it's the same thing with the man's voice being typically valued more than a woman's you just you have to know the privilege you have and use it for other people who may not be heard as much as you are going back to the point about uh, what we what we as like SGA could do to when we lobby uh, the Virginia State Assembly um, it kind of goes back, I feel like the lack of diversity among Virginia State Colleges or Virginia Commonwealth Colleges, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, It I feel like it goes back to your pre-college experience, right? I feel like like the county, when, when I moved to the U.S., the county that I lived in had a billion dollar budget just for education alone for uh, primary to high school. What county are you from? Arlington. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and we're like a small county. We got, we have three high schools, probably going to get a fourth. We're like one of the smallest like counties in the country. But that go, like, I feel like you can compare that to other counties in Virginia who maybe have a tenth of that budget and are larger than us. And Arlington has a lot of like, when, Ar- when you graduate from an Arlington County public school, a lot like a lot of Arlington students are on a college track or they're on maybe like a community college track whereas in other places that may not be the case like the majority of our students are going to college where in other counties in Virginia like especially like further down south they may like most of them may not be on a college track and that's I think that's an issue too because like that's it's a huge like a huge inequity in terms of funding I mean I get it like we have we have like a higher tax like bracket I guess like mm-hmm. in that area mm-hmm. but then again like we also do receive a lot of funding considering how like how close we are to DC and like how yeah like our representatives kind of like have a lot of clout in DC and in Richmond um but that being said I really do think if we start focusing on like providing funding for uh counties that are more underserved than my own I feel like that would be one of what probably like one of the best things that we could do like at like in SGA that or even having like having making like not making but having the schools have some type of resource because like growing up I don't know what the SAT was until my senior year of high school I didn't know anything about scholarship I didn't know anything about that until my senior year I thought my only way was basketball for the longest time mm-hmm. so like and I'm not the only one there's hundreds thousands of people with that same type of mentality that they don't know what's out there like I took the SAT last minute possible because I know I had no clue mm-hmm. like my I, w- I had to go to a community college my first year out 
because I didn't know anything. I didn't know the process. My parents didn't know the process. No one in my family, no one near that was close to me knew about that process. And like I went to high school here in uh, Spotswood when I moved back. And you know, I saw, so, you know, just like Jamie, a lot of them is white. And I still had, didn't have the resources for me. So like, that's something we could do, like try and find how like these public schools or help fund some type of resource. Cause I know Harrison High School does a great job with that now, that they do have those resources. But yeah. when you go out towards like, the, you know, the counties, there's nothing there. Or if people do go out there, they reject them. I know when um, the guys here at JMU went to, I think he said TA, and they shut him down. They're like, if you don't have nothing for everybody, we can't have it here. So like, is that something we might be able to, you know, advocate or find something yeah. of that nature, you know? My mind went straight to the SAT too, because I was recently talking to a friend I have from Connecticut, and I think he said, in his high school, they just like had SAT prep after school. They just had for free. And absolutely, it's not a thing in Virginia. <laughs> At every school, you cannot just find like a free SAT prep class. And like, yeah. I have thoughts on the SAT. Like, it's not actually a good, good uh, indicator of anything. But you know, when it comes to getting into college, like at least provide that resource for free for students. Um, and yeah, exposing them to that early, like you shouldn't have to find out your senior year because literally nobody told you, is also not fair. And I was also thinking about like. I don't know my personal experience with the SAT like I knew about it maybe in like seventh grade or something and I think that's because of media like I was consuming these like um I don't know what word to use to describe it maybe like I don't know how to even describe this show but I was watching like Gossip Girl and like Pretty Little Liars and like other shows where like the main characters are like upper middle class. Yeah, we watch different TV shows going on. Yeah, white, like upper middle class white women and parts of the plots of these shows are like getting through the SAT, going to college. And like, I feel like that's emphasized so much in like, at least the media that I was watching because I could, I could relate to that when I was a kid. Um, and like, I don't know, I feel like that was where I knew about the SAT so early. Um, I don't know, it definitely comes down to media as well with the education system. And like that media example is kind of random, but like, no, that's why really I... Good example. Yeah, that's great. Because okay. that's representation. <laughs> yeah, so representation in the media is definitely a thing. And like, if you're not seeing people of color go to, go to college and television, like... That's all I saw going on was that's yeah. the way you got to school was by playing some type of sport. Yeah. That's what that's how what got you out. Yeah, because um I guess you could think like taking the media perspective, like the story of like a black kid going to college isn't valuable unless they're like Michael Jordan on a basketball scholarship. Like it can't just be like a, like a character in a normal in like a show that's like with other diverse characters going to college. And like that just sucks. Cuz like I don't know. Like, if you had seen one of those shows where students were, like, taking the SAT and stuff, you would have known a lot earlier. Yeah, probably. You know? like, oh, what's that? But, the like, SAT? you weren't, you weren't so, the audience, because, like, the, like, literally Gossip Girl, like, the characters, I'm not saying Gossip Girl anymore, by the way. It <laughs> <laughs> was long ago. I was literally 12. But, like, the main characters are, like, I don't even know how to describe them. They're, like, the most high-class people. Is Gossip Girl the one with, uh, with Lindsay Lohan in it? No, it's with the guy it's from just, you. It's just a bunch of like yeah. super rich just, white kids going to school in New York. Dan, Dan Humphrey, and they go to <laughs> <laughs> and they go and they go to like Brown and Columbia and Harvard yeah, mm-hmm. and all these crazy places. 
So like, you know, I always think about the SAT when I was in seventh grade because I was like, I want to be like Blair. I want to go to to Yale or something. Like, I think it was last year I suggested that I suggested a plan for first year resources on campus and like having each school have a first year um, advisor um, for not first year, first generation, (laughs) so sorry, Um, first generation resources and like instead of the first year advisor having a first generation advisor for students that haven't, um, don't have the guidance or the mentors to show them like what college is about and I personally struggled my first year because I had no idea what I was doing and I let my advisor choose my schedule and she chose all major classes and yeah so that like just screwed me for the next four years but it's fine <laughs> that's a really good idea though um yeah. I also I heard similar stories from some of my friends uh, when I was in high school like they would go to their counselor for their schedule and it was a huge issue in my high school of um diversity and like the honors and AP classes where like my my friend I think I think she was Hispanic and her, she was advised not to go into honors classes. Oh Lord. Yeah, like it, it definitely comes down to like counseling and advising and stuff like that. And I think that's an amazing idea. That would be a really good influence, I think. I'm shot down, but I think we can. Write a resolution. You know? Yeah. I, we write a resolution. I personally think, so I am not a first gen college student. My parents were, but I was very lucky to have them like as a support system especially when I was applying to college because tears FAFSA FAFSA was tears applying to colleges writing the same essay over and over again with like different like lettering I mean different words and stuff like that but at JMU especially I feel like first gen students at this particular university are at a very like bad disadvantage I guess because you have your peers who are maybe JMU legacies or their parents went to college and their parents can afford, like, like especially out-of-state students, their parents can afford to, like, send them to a school that's $44,000 a year. And you have to, like, like, especially, like your freshman year or your sophomore year, you have to do things like go to take the MRESs or take Health 100. You got to do these passports. You got to go buy, like, buy stuff to do your homework and all mm-hmm. that. I feel like, like, first-gen students, like, they may not have the resources to necessarily do all those or they may struggle to, like, you know buy an access buy a $77 access code or $130 like $30 access code which is ridiculous and like in its own but um I also feel like JMU just does not support like first gen students unless you're in Centennial and even then like Mm -hmm. you know you keep up keep up a good GPA you'll keep your scholarship and then they kind of just throw you to the wolves there so you know it's tough being first gen. Like I have to work night shifts. Like I work from six a.m. to six in the morning, and it's it's not easy. Plus, with my accounting and all that stuff, takes off most of my time. It's uh, like I know they got torch here, but like I found out about torch a little bit too late. I'm like at this point, you know, lucky for me, you know, I've always had to do whatever I had to do to get stuff done. This is how I was raised, but not everybody has that mentality, and it's rough. It's not easy. I think that we have touched on a lot. If you'd like to be featured on our podcast or even have a topic that you would like to discuss, you can DM us on Instagram at JMUSGA. 
Please subscribe and rate us on any platform if you enjoyed. Thanks for listening.